Hello and welcome back to a brand new mini-series of the VoiceOver Talks podcast, a season 1.5, I guess you could call it. And the reason for that is that while a full second season is in the pipeline, I wanted to put out some small burst content. So short five to ten minute episodes that focus on a specific topic each week. Yeah, yeah, I know this episode's 15 minutes long. I'm sorry, it's the first one. I'll work on cutting them down for next time. And we'll hopefully provide real, actionable advice and tips that you can take away and start implementing immediately into your work. So let's jump straight in with today's topic. And to start things off in this episode, I'm going to talk about live directed sessions with clients through your own home studios and my five top tips to always keep in mind, most of which I've had to learn the hard way, hopefully so you don't have to. Now, we all know that live-directed sessions are more popular than ever. The fact that home studio equipment has become so affordable, the information and guidance on creating home studios, quality home studios, is so easily accessible now. Broadband or fiber-optic internet speeds have improved so much, and of course the pandemic practically putting a stop to in-person sessions means that voiceover artists have adapted to this new way of working and it's very likely that for a lot of voiceover work this will remain the norm even as we transition into a post-pandemic world. Now, I'm not going to go into what to expect in a live session here. There's tons of great advice already out there about how they work, different broadcast options, and the expectations of both you and the person directing or recording you. But here are my five top tips to ensure that you are as prepared as possible going into your live directed sessions so you can avoid making the same mistakes I did. Tip number one, prepare for playback. Now, I learned this first lesson pretty early on in my career, but I can still feel the embarrassment and the panic that I felt at that moment. So I've been booked to record three brand videos for a large multinational corporation. Now, most of the live sessions that I'd done before this were pretty straightforward. We'd connected via Zoom or Skype or CleanFeed, and they'd just been the usual direction, record, more direction, record again, and then send the files across after. Now, with this particular client, I was caught completely off guard when, after the first take, they said, great, now can we hear that one back? So I was like, uh, maybe? Let me check some stuff. And it was really awkward. It wasn't something that I'd been asked to do before in a live session from my home studio. And so, after around five minutes of fumbling through various settings, I had to admit that I wasn't sure if it was possible through the platform we were using, which I think was maybe clean feed for this one. To which the client responded, well, our last video was able to do playback. Again, hugely embarrassing, and so I ended up trying to play through my own speakers and holding the mic up to them, which of course sounded terrible and was a real faff to have to keep doing after each take. And so in the end, I had to admit defeat and apologize, and we agreed I'd just send the files, and after the session, I could run another pickup session if needed. But I just looked really unprofessional. So this first tip really is about managing expectations before the session, particularly when working directly with an end client who pre-pandemic may have been used to being in a studio and having playback on demand or who may be used to remote sessions with an engineer in between who could take care of that sort of stuff. 
But as more and more clients are starting to work directly with the talent, it's just something to be aware of. Now, there are some programs out there such as Loopback, which is available for Mac users, and there's software for Windows uh, called AudioMeter or VoiceMeter, I think it is. That's Voice M-E-E-T-E-R. It's not overly user-friendly and it can be quite fiddly to set up with your door, but there are some guides out there on YouTube that will show you how to do this. Some people prefer a physical routing option, and there are some guides on how to do this too, so I'll leave a link to one of those in the show notes, which essentially involves physically plugging one of your speaker outputs into an additional input on your interface, so that whatever you play through your system will also be picked up along with your microphone through whatever communication platform you're using. And of course, some of the more corporate options like Zoom or Microsoft Teams do allow you to share your screen and then add computer audio to that screen share. But again, it's not ideal as you'll also need to share your screen, which will take up bandwidth. And unfortunately, with most high quality broadcast options like CleanFeed, Source Connect or SessionLink Pro, there's currently no option to do this easily within their settings. So tip number one is just to make sure that you manage expectations before the session. So when you're arranging the session with the client before, ask them beforehand if they're expecting a playback option and ensure that either A, the platform that you are using has that option or B, you have either a physical or software-based routing option to provide playback or C, you just explain that, for example, if you want to connect through CleanFeed, please be aware that I won't have the option to offer live playback during the session. So you're managing those expectations beforehand and won't be left like a deer in the headlights when a client suddenly springs it on you mid-session. Tip number two is to account for what I call seasonal noise. Now, what I mean by this, again, another lesson I've learned the hard way, is about taking into account external events that may interrupt or cause issues in terms of external noise during your live sessions. Now, my new studio is around 95% soundproof. It's a solid concrete construction, solid walls with decoupled frames and a two solid core fire door lobby system. Now, I say 95% as it does have a window. Uh, This is triple glazed acoustic glass and it does keep almost everything out with the exception of some extremities, one of which is fireworks. But here we are talking about quite literal explosions, so it's not surprising that these sounds do penetrate and come through. Now, a lot of studios that I work with are based in the US, and particularly for those on the West Coast, 9 to 10 a.m. for them is around 5 to 6 p.m. here in the UK. And last year I had a session booked with a client at 11 a.m. their time, which was 7 p.m. UK time on the 5th of November. Now, for those listening who aren't from the UK, you may or may not be aware, the 5th of November is known as Guy Fawkes Night or Fireworks Night. And when we agreed the date, as we'd already been in conversation about a few other things, it was just posed to me as, how does next Friday work for you? To which I thought nothing of. Had I realised the date sooner, it likely would have triggered. And it wasn't until the morning of the 5th when it dawned on me that I was booked in for a session at 7pm, with potentially hundreds of fireworks going off throughout the night. Now, I was very fortunate in that the client was very flexible and completely understood, and so we pushed the session back by a few days. But again, another example of not coming across as an absolute professional. And the worst part of this is that I clearly didn't learn my lesson because I booked another session a month later on New Year's Eve. Having been in semi-lockdowns for the past two years, I hadn't even thought about the fact that it would likely be another night of fireworks. But again, luckily I realized this mistake a few days before and was able to rearrange with the client. But this tip also extends to other seasonal things that, with a bit of foresight, you can plan for. 
For example, I was also in a live session on the evening of Halloween last year. Now, luckily, in place of a doorbell, we have a ring camera installed, which comes through to my studio, but that can be disarmed when needed or not needed. But if your recording space is likely to pick up sounds like the doorbell or door knocking or lots of kids running and screaming around outside, a night like Halloween could cause havoc for your live sessions. Similarly, if you have delivery scheduled when you're due in a session, be sure to leave a note asking the driver not to ring the bell or to leave the package with a neighbour or something. And just to be aware of other seasonal things too, for example, if you live near a park or some open space where children often play, let's be honest, they can be pretty loud sometimes when they're out playing, then make note of when the school holidays local to you are. Because although it might seem super quiet throughout the weekdays most of the time, during school holidays you might find that those quiet Tuesday afternoons are going to be particularly difficult to record on for the next few weeks. And the same goes for weekends too, so just be aware of what's going on outside of your recording space and perhaps plot a calendar of any potential disruptions to noise so that you don't go booking sessions in on those dates. Next, it's a nice simple tip for number three. Be sure to eat beforehand. Don't go into a live session on an empty stomach. Not only will your energy levels likely not be where they need to, but the loud gurgling of a hungry stomach during a live session is extremely embarrassing and will be picked up. And in my experience, can actually be loud enough to ruin a take. But on the flip side, don't overeat too so that your stomach's gurgling away, trying to digest everything that you've just consumed. Moving on to tip number four, be prepared for changes. Expect the unexpected. And this tip is really something that takes time, experience and practice to fully implement, but is one of the key skills you need as a voice actor. And it's about staying adaptable and ready for change. Last year, I was lucky enough to work with Warner Brothers on a Harry Potter web series as the voice of Hagrid to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Harry Potter films. And in the casting, the client had specified they were looking for the voice of Hagrid. And being a big fan of the films for most of my life, I was so ready for this one. I gave my best Hagrid impression and they loved it and they booked me based on that. They then sent the scripts for a week before the session so I was able to really get Hagrid sounding just right for the lines they needed. And when it came to the day of the session, one of the people in the session was a franchise manager from Warner Brothers who at that point explained that they loved my Hagrid voice but that it was too close to the original and they explained that it still needs to have all of the Hagrid characteristics but not sound too much like Robbie Coltrane's original portrayal. And I had done so much prep on getting the voice as close as possible to that to suddenly be told at the last second it needs to be something different to that was something I found really, really difficult. And so I had to very quickly on the fly try to break down exactly what these vocal characteristics were. So you have the deepness to his voice. Obviously, he's a, a giant. And then you've got the, the the gruffness or the graveliness that goes on top of that. And then, of course, the strong West Country accent behind it all. And so by breaking those down, I was able to layer the voice and then give the client options in terms of which layers they wanted to keep and which we could lose. And I think in the end, we settled with keeping the deep graveliness, but losing the West Country accent, which is a shame as it's a very fun accent to play around with. But I'd had such a tunnel vision focus in terms of the preparation that it was very difficult for me to move away from it. And a lot of the time I found myself either slipping back into it or being too far away from the original voice. Um, We got there in the but the lesson I took from this is to always be prepared, but don't overly commit to a particular style or delivery. 
You need to be ready to adapt at the drop of a hat. And this does come with practice and experience. But even if you've been booked based on a specific audition or for a particular spot from your showreels, always be prepared for the client to want certain elements of it, but to either take some out or add their own back in. Don't get so focused on the voice that you think they want that you're unable to adapt and mix things up on the fly. And finally, tip number five, always have spare or backup equipment. For the first three and a half years of my voiceover career, I used the Scarlett Focusrite Solo Audio Interface. And last year I upgraded to the new Universal Audio Apollo Solo, which is a lovely piece of kit, but it has one very big flaw, which I soon discovered. So the Apollo Solo is a new rebranded version of the old Universal Audio Arrow, which was released last year as a USB-C version for Windows machines. However, Windows machines will only recognize the input as a line in as opposed to a microphone, which is fine for recording into a door and for some communication programs, but for others like Skype or browser-based connections through Source Connect or CleanFeed or SessionLink Pro, they're designed to look out for and accept a microphone connection and not a line in, which is typically instrument-based. And I found this out the hard way when recording with a client about a week after the new interface arrived. It was the first time I was using the new interface for a live session. But Google Meet, which is what we were using, just would not detect the microphone, which was another highly embarrassing moment and also embarrassing for the studio who also had the client patched in. Luckily, I still had my old Focusrite interface and so was able to switch straight back to this and everything worked fine. But this just highlights the importance of keeping spare or backup equipment to hand. I did then speak to Universal Audio who acknowledged the issue and have said that they're working on an urgent driver update to address it, but it's been six months now and nothing has been updated. There is a workaround that you can use using the audio routing software that I mentioned earlier, VoiceMeter, to reroute your microphone. But in the same light, if your interface went bang or your microphone stopped working just before... Uh, or worse, during a live session, do you have spare equipment available that you could easily swap out and resume without a hitch? So not buried somewhere in the loft or the attic, not loaned out to a friend, but ready to switch out instantly if needed. And this goes for all elements of your chain, so laptop, cables, monitor, keyboard, mouse. It might seem a bit excessive, but it's essentially your insurance for a live session. You have peace of mind that it's there if you need it, and when you do, you're incredibly grateful for it. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. If you're new to the series, be sure to go back and check out Series 1, where I interview a new guest from the world of voiceover every week and discuss their unique journeys into the world of voiceover. You can find them on all podcasting platforms or at voiceovertalks.com. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast where there's a brand new episode every week. I'm Scott Tunnix. You can find me at tunnixvo.com or follow me on Twitter at scotttunnix or Instagram via tunnix underscore vo. And I'll see you next week.